opening opening this week's podcast with some sad news. Um, oh. Butterscotch thirty seven blew up. No, it wasn't my fault. Here's what happened. I was no, riding. You fixed it right. I was riding back to camp. You fixed it. I already fixed it once. God wouldn't let me do it because I had just finished a, a mission. Yeah, Butterscotch thirty seven. Listen. No, let listen. me explain how it happened. These guys are breaking open a safe, and I was like, "Oh, I'll just kill them and take the money in the safe." There's a bomb in the safe. There was a bomb, and I didn't shoot them fast enough because I had just finished a mission, so my dead eye meter was like, "Dunzo." It should have been Tim. Um. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it should have right. been you. I would sacrifice a hundred Tims. Me going, me riding into camp, grabbing one of the care. It should have been you. <laughs> um yeah so butterscotch 37 who was also very exhausted because we had just come from a mission took the brunt of the explosion and died and so i am happy to welcome butterscotch 38 to the family long live live long and prosper also because i already resurrected butterscotch 37 once and i feel like if i did it a second i feel like doing it a second time is just something's hey, gonna listen, something's listen. gonna if happen Terry taught us anything it's that Bringing your pets back from the dead is great, and you should do it all the time. Yeah, maybe if I sacrifice Dutch Vanderland, God will give me my horse back. But horses are good and pure and noble. I feel like God would be kind of offended if you offered um, Dutch Vanderland's soul in exchange for a horse. That's fair. I think that's more than fair. What's John's soul going to do? He can't even read. <laughs> that horse was a rogue scholar. That horse... My favorite thing in Red Dead Redemption 2 is when they make literary references. And at first I'm a little surprised that like Arthur knows it. Like when he's like, it's like a hick Romeo and Juliet. And I'm like, you know what that is? And then I just think about how John doesn't at all. Like doesn't even have a passing knowledge of it. No. You know he, you know he doesn't read. Okay, let's go into the episode. Let's go. Okay, hello, and welcome to Legends in Review, a unofficial and unaffiliated podcast uh, discussing DC's Legends of Tomorrow. I only do the opening when I'm kind of unsure where I'm going to take it. So this is the fifth episode of the fourth season called Mick Brings... Oh my God, never came up with the title. I did, don't worry. You're going to love it. It's called Mick Brings Porn to the Library, because this episode... If you do, that that's a reference to the to the thing that was actually the anime this, club comic from which we both escaped and became corporeal. Became a real boy. Yeah, that's actually. I crawled out you, of a Casey Green comic. Does actually sound like something that would happen to me? Yeah. 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 Um, this is hentai. You uneducated. The the fucking. I I mean, I recommend reading it just because if you are a nerd and you have. If you were ever. If you grew up in like the anime boom, it perfectly encapsulates being like 11 to 16 during that time period. Like all of the bullshit, all of the weird, like I re- the library anime clubs and the school anime clubs and the weird fucking drama and the awful kind of like, not that like, I think, I think fundamentally all people of that age are just terrible, but there's something 
that's uniquely terrible about also being that way and having been an anime fan. And I say this as someone who was. Trust me, it's awful. It. I read the, every time I reread it. I'm like, God. I. We all just get. You get more mort as life yeah. goes on. Yeah. You either you either die you either die a mort or live long enough to see yourself become a Dave. Like, there's no. I, oh God. There's everything no everything you said to me was violence. Okay. Yeah. This, yeah. This was inarguably one of the best episodes Legends of Tomorrow has ever done. Yeah. It is also one of the most emotionally impactful. And yes, it is also the fucking horniest. I like that you said emotionally impactful and I said horny because like, this is an episode. Yes, I figured you were because I was like, there are some really genuinely good emotional moments in in this episode. But this episode is also like the floor of a porn theater. Like it's sticky. It is sticky. Sticky. It's sort of, it's not, there's nothing actively. It's uncomfortable. You're like, oh no. Something has happened here. Yeah, it's 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 not literally pornography, but it's it's sort of the, the general feeling yes. that a space that is used largely for sexual gratification Why is becomes. Twitter, Twitter is showing me advertisements for avocados, and I'm allergic. Can I report That's... this to Jack? Yes, um, that that is that is a hate crime. Okay, perfect. Um, uh, did you know Tumblr is no longer on the fucking app, and so I guess I'm just yep. trapped on there. I think I'm trapped on there, like I'm in a fucking snow globe. I am so. I mean, here's the thing: is I'm like the. This is a website that has slowly been crashing and burning, and it's just kind of fun to watch at this point. I mean, um, I've done the research for work on like advertising and stuff. They still get six hundred million people on the site monthly yeah no don't get me wrong there are still people on the site but it's just such a broken a lot of people you know are are on the site for a couple of very specific things that they're trapped there for and none of it's hello Tumblr listeners is... i'm Tumblr free me listeners like... free me listeners yes it is um tumblr reminds me a lot of like aol in the later years Oh God! You a know my features, nana, like, Satan rest her soul, used AOL. She used an AOL email address. I mean, not well, but she had one until she died. Yeah, that sounds about right. And now you, can, my aunt you still can, uses an AOL address you can for email work. her in hell. No. She'll ignore She'll it like ignore. she ignored all things, but it's yeah. it's the thought that counts. Anyway, um, um this but episode... yeah, this was this was an episode that we joked about being bad, or at least I know I had. And then literally about 10 minutes before the episode aired, we got the sneak peek, which yeah, is, the is uh, so sneak peek actually came out before the episode aired. And then they aired the episode, which just didn't seem the episode airs at nine. Sneak peek comes out at 11. Like that doesn't, that doesn't help. <laughs> <She's> but, like, <laughs> who is this for Phil? But it is, it is, um, you know, we were like, wow, is this going to be another Vietnam episode? And it wasn't quite and by as... by Vietnam episode, we mean, like, something that we were kind of a little concerned about because... We were immensely concerned about. I, I, But I think it wasn't as much of a hard gut punch as the Vietnam episode taking a hard left turn into mixed traumatic upbringing because Oops. it didn't necessarily deviate from what we had been expecting. So it was, it was still a kaiju story. It was just a much better one than I had been expecting. Because, um, you know, I even mentioned to... Because I, because when we got the fucking Phil Clemmer commentary, as the episode was airing, he texted it to me, <laughs> and um, he said that 
this is sort of their love letter to the genre, that they're all very big fans of this. And, you know, um, I believe the people, you know, the people who wrote the episode are some of the best writers this show has. Yes. This show actually does have very strong writers. And on the off chance anyone ever heard this, um, they're all very talented now that Mark is gone. God bless, God bless, God bless. I think that Ari and I are the only two people who remember the samurai episode that Mark Guggenheim wrote. And that is what has been painting the backdrop of our anxiety I don't even, I... for episodes like the episode they had during the Vietnam War or this episode. It's so weird yeah. how during this episode, they also, they just went, hey, remember that episode we had where Nate was the we- I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And they just did that for 10 minutes. That was yeah. really heartfelt. It was, yeah, I mean, like, I really appreciate that they were, like, clearly they were just as ashamed and embarrassed as we, we were, um, which is great. You definitely want that from them. Um, they, they kind of, they kind of earned it. Um, before we begin, I want to sort of explain some background that, one, I just think our viewers might find interesting if they don't already know a lot about kaiju cinema, and two, contextualize a little bit, a little bit of what happened in this episode because it's a, a lot more happened than they elaborated on. But it's just Ishiro Honda was the historical figure of note in this episode, and he was actually treated very well. I will say that um, he also apparently, and and I will congratulations to Legends for a- actually pronouncing it Ishiro Honda because. Um, due to the fact that up until very recently, most translations of non-Western literary canon or media were really bad, uh, he's was often Roman, Romanized as Inoshiro Honda, and that's not his name. I mean, the Legends writers did actually post photos of them, like, reading his biography, and I mean, again, yes, this is someone he, uh, they all clearly admire very much. Yes. And that's like and that's a good thing because he's relatively when you think of post-war cinema um, directors, uh, Japanese ones specifically, Akira Kurosawa comes to mind immediately. You have because um, there's I, I had a list. I'm looking through my notes because I, I took notes for this, which is fucking wild. Um, I took the fucking BuzzFeed Chick-fil-A order. Yes. I got Sean Mendez, which I feel like is punishment oh, is for taking. Sh- I feel like it's punishment for taking this quiz for this horrible heterosexual chicken. Who's who? Who is that? I don't understand. Doesn't matter. Anyway, okay. So Ishiro Honda um, actually did work with Akira Kurosawa um, later in life. He was a production assistant and sort of like a you know a collaborating creative force on um, some of Akira Kurosawa's films in the sixties. Um, he lived until 1993. He lived a very long life. He had some really, he had some, and I did, when I was doing my digging, he actually had a couple of films. I was like, I kind of want to look into this and just watch this that aren't kaiju films, but they just look really fun. He's done some really fun, like culty, schlocky stuff. Um, he was actually not, the interesting thing about this episode was, um, Ishiro Honda wasn't the only person who created Godzilla. He was also he Godzilla himself was not designed by Honda. He uh, was designed by Tezo Toshimitsu and Akira Watanabe under Eiji Tsuburaya's uh, supervision, which is a bunch of other people who really didn't come up in this film um, to come up in this episode, which is kind of a shame. Um, the actual 
the thing is, is like the thing about the whole, well, what did they call this kaiju? Here's the thing. Um, what they- Tetsudo. No, no. Tet- you're Tetsuo, you're thinking of Akira. What, no, what the- I mean, the name of this episode is called Tetsudo Attacks. That's the name of the monster. Tet- oh, God. I Are, are, are you sure? I'm, I'm going to double check right now. Okay. Yeah. Tagumo. I'm so sorry. Tagumo. Okay. Tagumo. Because um, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Okay. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background for how this all started. Um, the In West Philadelphia. No, but this is actually really interesting because the, I shouldn't the, the make thing- jokes. This is about the nuclear age. Please continue. No, it's okay. Um, the initial pitch for Godzilla was um called Project G, and featured a giant octopus attacking ships in the Indian Ocean. So the whole thing about um the kaiju of this episode being a giant octopus and really that was about it actually is a callback to the initial origins of godzilla which i think is really cool i thought Um, that was also very cool it was also an excuse for us to get real horny but we'll get to that we'll get to that later um takeo murata and ishiro honda co-wrote the screenplay after the initial pitch from the producer which was the octopus one um they literally rewrote it in three weeks and um took that initial treatment into like a Full script. Ishiro Honda didn't create Godzilla's design, but he's credited with literally creating. You know how in most monster films you don't actually see the monster until like fifty minutes in. He's the guy who decided that would be the thing. Because in the initial treatment for the Godzilla film, when it was known as Project G, the the script outline said he's going to show up like fifteen minutes in, and Ishiro Honda was the one who said, "No, why don't we save it?" And I think that was really interesting that that's something that he um, is he he basically created a staple of the whole fucking genre. Um, initially, some of the concepts for Godzilla were they that Godzilla was supposed to look more like a gorilla or a whale because of the fact that Gojira comes from the Japanese words for gorilla and whale, um, Gorira and Kujira, and you just sort of like smush those together. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, I'm learning. Um, I'm learning whole things here. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the, the, the whole, the whole, this was a film made in 1954. So keeping in mind that films like pre eighties were made in two weeks with $5. Um, Godzilla was 51 days of filming and 71 days of post-production because of the fact that they had to add in so much. They wanted to utilize stop motion animation at first, but that would have taken how much seven years and about and. 30 uh, like, billion united like the entire gdp of japan like you couldn't I mean, that was... i also love you saying that like you know movies were kind of i mean low budget and made in two weeks because i'm like so is legends but like yeah. Godzilla actually i they mean just... they're paying i think it was really sweet of legends to be like you know we understand that our show borrows a lot from monster movies as a genre and this is why we love them so much yeah I mean, what I also love is um, the, I'm going to, because this is, this is, this is practical effects. I'm really sad they didn't do more practical effects this episode because here's, here's a description of some of the stuff they had to do. Um, Because of how fucking massive this suit was, um, the two actors who play Godzilla, Haro Nakajima and Katsumi Tezuka, um, who literally had to be like the strongest people in the studio because otherwise they could not wear the suit. 
I have a question. Um, what was Brandon Routh doing that he thinks he's too good to put on a goddamn octopus costume? Honestly, rubber suit acting is fucking physically exerting. It is so... And, and you wouldn't have even needed a ton of tentacles. You could have had, like, five, and one of them could have been... One of them could have been a dick. I there was we gonna, go. I was gonna leave it. I was gonna leave it kind of like tastefully, like cut off. But no, one of them would be his dick. That's the joke. That's the yeah, joke, that's, everybody. That's that's one hundred percent the joke. Um, that being said, they had to cut the suit in half and film from like the waist up so that the actors didn't die. Um, and then would like have the lower half fitted with rope suspenders. So that way, if they needed a shot of just his feet, like they, they had to film Godzilla in bits and pieces at first. Um, but Haruo Nakajima actually played Godzilla until he retired in 1972. So this guy played Godzilla for like 20 years. Um, and I, I guess got really fucking ripped because, oh my God, um, this thing is made out of like metal mesh and wire and, and so much latex and rubber and, and just, it, it, it weighed 220 pounds. And for close-ups, there was a smaller scale hand-operated puppet. Um, so that's why whenever you see, and that, that, that's sort of the trend of most monster films. So whenever you see a close-up in a monster film, that's why usually the head of the monster suddenly looks slightly different because it's a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, the thing about Japanese film and the thing that I think was very interesting about what this episode talked about is the number one, the fact that Godzilla and the way that they made Godzilla, um, which utilize the suits, um, which are also known as Daikaiju, um gave birth to the whole genre of tokusatsu and if you don't know what tokusatsu is and i'm sorry i'm throwing around like so much fucking lingo this episode that's why i'm trying to explain it all tokusatsu is common rider if you don't know what common rider is power rangers sort of um power rangers is a direct descendant of godzilla because there are so many giant monster suits and suit acting in tokusatsu shows and power rangers is sort of like the the big state side one i used to watch power rangers all the time as a little kid um but what color that, did you always pretend to be uh red ranger okay i, I had, was pink um, i was always pink that's adorable i was usually the red ranger or the blue ranger because those are my favorite colors um i also had and it was from i think spd it was like this fucking foam saber that if you whipped someone with that it fucking i got like welts from hitting yeah, myself here's with the it. thing do they still sell toys that children can like really fucking go at each other with because in the not 90s, they let us fucking go. Yeah, no, not not nearly as many. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of I noticed based on what kids bring in a lot more in terms of figurines and sort of like model things like kids will bring in like giant model ships or things like that. They don't really bring in like weapons from a show or something, even if they're even if it's Power Rangers, like they don't. I mean, I feel like, you know, and here's the thing, like, when we would go to toys, I remember seeing fucking swords from the Power Rangers stuff, but maybe parents are just like, no, I just don't think this is a great thing for a child to have. Yeah, I also work with slightly younger kids, but even my older kids who are, like, in, like, elementary school don't have stuff like that anymore. Um, I don't know if it's because they're not allowed to bring it to school, because I don't really know a lot about their home lives, but my brother doesn't really have a lot of toys like that either, and he's 10, so... Um, 
yeah, I think it's just not something that's made as often. Um, that there are going to be so many kids with so many less eye injuries. I know, and it's such a damn shame. Um, ocular you know, I, ocular damage is really I a love, pinnacle. It's really a <laughs> pinnacle part of childhood. I long for the halcyon days of lawn darts. Um, I swear <laughs> to God, when people are like, "Let's go back," you know, I had a coworker who was like, "You know, things were so simple when I was growing up," and I think she grew up in like the seventies. And I'm like, "Do you have any idea how many children got murdered?" So many fucking kids got murdered. Uh, that, it was a you fucking guys. free for all out there. You have no idea. Was, uh, you are full of shit. Uh, like, shut shut the fuck up. All right. So um, I bring this up because Legends actually has a lot, especially this season. This season is effectively a season of Power Rangers. Like, this is this is just they are. And it does it does help that, you know, tokusatsu shows and superhero shows have always kind of been in a back and forth contest of like influencing, influencing each other. But I do appreciate that this is sort of a roundabout way of acknowledging their forebears. Um, because this show is effectively a live action cartoon, which is what I would argue most tokusatsu shows are as well. Um, with that, the fact that they actually brought up a lot of heavier topics in this episode was just, I don't think it was badly handled. It could sometimes be a bit of like whiplash, but nothing too bad. I think it was actually really great because, like, you know, one of the things we were actually thinking about, a lot of people when they do, like, a Godzilla sort of pastiche, I'll call it, kind of, it can just be very sort of, like, cheaply done, like, because they think that the movies, because they're old, are, like, cheap or silly, and they don't really appreciate where they're coming from. And, And Legends had such a deep appreciation and reverence for it that it was really touching. That is... Something that I, yeah, because a lot of, when a lot of adaptations adapt or they, or they parody kaiju stuff, they parody the destruction scenes specifically without any of the context leading up to them or any of the, any of the, any of the understanding about like where they operate and how they operate and why, or they're adapting stuff like terror of Mecha, terror of Mecha Godzilla. Like they're, they're adapting the cheesiest, schlockiest, because there are films like that in the genre. Um, you know, it's it's obviously going to be the kind of genre that allows for that backsliding and excess of like stupid monster fights. Like, I get it. But if you ever have the ability or or time to watch the original 1954 Godzilla, you really, really should because it is on. It's not it's not a monster film. It's a film about a natural disaster, and that is sort of understandable given the fact that this was made literally less than 10 years after um america created created uh heinous war crimes oh god i don't i've tried to i've tried to not talk about war crimes on a comedy podcast before because obviously here's the thing america always be committing war crimes yes but i do i I am unfortunately going to have to talk about them and i know that that's just such a fucking bummer but we're 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 gonna have to live the worst bummer getting nuked yeah legends (laughs) takes a very hard stance on things sometimes but i'm very like they took a pretty hard stance on vietnam and they've also portrayed nate's dad when he complains about vietnam as being wrong and they took a very hard stance that nuclear warfare is bad, which is like, you don't think it's actually like you might think it's actually co- not actually that controversial. But then you actually think about like how much pro-military stuff is out there and just forced into our media every single goddamn day. 
Yeah. And it is actually pretty important for them to take that hard stance. It is important, especially in the context of talking about Japanese cinema, because after America moved in and basically took over Japan um, as a, you know, as a military occupier, they, we, um, created like a censorship board that basically didn't let filmmakers make films or story creators make stories um about the the bombing of their country in a way that ran counter to official reasons for why the bombs were dropped so if they were like yeah they mostly did this because they kind of wanted to see what would happen to people if they just put a bunch of radiation in their fucking system which is kind of yes that's what we did there is there is evidence um either suggesting or outright explicitly stating that mm, even if we didn't even if it wasn't our number one intention we super duper like studied the effects of radiation on the um afflicted populaces mostly for the hell of it um did you know that most science um that america has conducted is deeply immoral just, now just you so, do pretty much um can we just fucking go to space can we just go to there's no one we can hurt in space honestly until we um, find someone we can hurt in space and then we probably will there is yeah we're we're gonna i'm like uh, we're gonna there's literally we're gonna go to mars and we're gonna fuck up the microbes that live on mars swear to god anyway um there is literally an entire genre that godzilla belongs to that isn't just kaiju it's called hibakusha cinema um and it's a term for the hibakusha um which is a term for the explode it literally translates out to explosion affected persons so people whose lives were changed by the bomb which was the entirety of japan have you ever seen the um someone who i think was a child when one of the bombs dropped did a cartoon an animation yes yeah barefoot gen i've seen barefoot gen um, and it's just it's fucking brutal yeah. i mean yeah it ha- yeah um isao takahata was the one who did grave of the fireflies not miyazaki but isao takahata was um also you know a, a witness to the bombing um sorry that- every time you say grave of the fireflies i just think of the fucking perfect blue trailer spoof that little karibo did Jesus. where he calls it a family fun movie he says from the people who brought you the comedy classic Grave of the Fireflies comes a family, a movie the whole family can enjoy. And like both of those things are so deeply incorrect about both films that it sort of becomes art. Oh yeah, no, it's my favorite. That's that that's like a whole and that's one of those things where it's like you it's it's I almost don't know if I could explain that to a modern anime fan because we have changed our attitudes so thoroughly on anime within like a a, a half decade. I mean, the attitude I think still persists among slightly older people, but like you did, I can remember so many fucking stories online of people who were like, I work at Blockbuster, which is of course now an incredibly old sentence, and they they would have parents come in and like try to rent like fucking porn for their kids because it was animated and um shit like plague dogs and things like that um so fun there's definitely some children who've been subject to barefoot gen on accident um but you like you know you're never too young to learn about american war crimes uh which start soon start you really should i mean i mean i was i was a kid during the bush years so i learned pretty quick yeah i had to learn pretty fucking fast um and you can't i would the whole that that sequence where he's talking about where he's wondering where everyone has gone was just I haven't seen something like that about war 
and violence on TV in a very long time. Like we kind of don't realize how, if not actively jingoistic, just sort of benignly indifferent to warfare a lot of American TV has become post 9-11. But that was a like an immensely firm anti-war message. And you don't really see that anymore. You either see shows that don't ever talk about it, or you see shows that sort of either glorify it or justify it or or never really address it. Like you don't have you don't let people who I mean the the actor portraying Ishiro Honda was not literally the but like Ishiro Honda the character we don't tell stories of the people that America has hurt. We tell stories of like veterans. Yeah. But we don't tell stories of people in Afghanistan or people in Iraq. You have to go looking for that. It has to, it's like a news story like that you get one time. Yep. You have to go digging. Um it's the sort of thing where it's it, it was it was it was legitimately it's the sort of thing where like when we were talking about what they did during the Salem episode where we were like, "Oh Christ. They they could have gone further and didn't. This episode went further." And it, it did and things. it pays off and that's why we want and that's why we always push them to go further not because you know For maybe we're it. a little further i mean we're probably further left than they are it's kind of hard to be not it's kind of hard yeah. to not we're, you know yeah but when they push themselves and when they allow themselves i think to express what they know is right it really pays off big time in the show and that's just fantastic and um, I am so proud of everyone on Legends for making this episode. I I mean, I want to point out also that when they put, like, Tala and Katie and Maisie together as a trio, it's just fucking magic. Like, it, they yeah. were the main trio of the Helen episode as well. Yeah. And they're just fucking incredible together. I would watch it a Three Musketeers. I would watch an episode where they literally are the Three Musketeers and then... That would be adorable. I don't know who would be the baby musketeer, the sexy one. Um... Or Milady, that would be really fun. Uh, um, but you know, we'd figure it out. I, Ramona. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. I mean, she's not. She's not really sort of the stressed romantic hero. The f- stressed French romantic hero that fucking what's his name? Do Aubrey? Dark Darkin Snip. Caldio. Yes, I I don't give a fuck. I don't fucking give a fuck. He yeah no not he's not the stressed French romantic hero. But I think that's I think that's really to her benefit because yeah no she's adorable I would die for her being a um, goddamn French romantic hero is I think the worst thing anyone could ever be yeah straight up um that being said like this was legitimately a very touching and thorough and emotionally honest tribute to the a a, a, a a tragedy that we don't really have words for because nothing like it has ever happened since which is a good thing. But it is, Japan is technically the only post-apocalyptic society. Like, it's the only, only fucking place that has ever had an atomic bomb dropped on it and moved out of that. And that sort of recontextualizes your worldview a lot, or at least it did mine um, when I, when I realized that. But even, even on a less broad scale of like, apocalyptic war crimes this was an episode that dealt with trauma 
and how you put your trauma into your art, which is something that is number one was basically why Godzilla was made. Um, Godzilla, the first one, is a very explicitly this isn't this is a this is humanity has opened a can of worms and now has to lie in it and can't un you can't you can't undo that doodle, um, home skillet. But like, yeah, that is effectively the moral moral of Godzilla. Like we fucked up bad, which is why Shin Godzilla was such a good adaptation because if you ever have the chance to watch I watch. Gojira, and then watch Shin Godzilla, because both of them are effectively natural disaster films, where the natural disaster in question is a giant monster. But it's really important for understanding how humanity responds to a major crisis. Um, That said, even just in broader terms of using fiction to deal with trauma, this was a really sort of personally affecting episode for me, because I make jokes about it, but like, yeah, everything I write is sort of recontextualizing my trauma like i was reading an academic paper in college once because i'm for i'm a fucking nerd who does that as a hobby um that talked about house of leaves which is a good book you should read if you have the patience it's a fucking doorstopper it took me like two fucking weeks because it's who is house post- of leaves um mark z danielewski it's okay. postmodernist as shit um it is it is good but it is obtuse and deliberately so it doesn't want to be read, but you do it anyway. And one of you the most do it important- mainly to spite the author. Yeah, basically, that was why I read Ulysses. Um, I, I like halfway through it, I was like, I'm doing this because I fucking hate James Joyce so goddamn I much. I swear to God, Phil, Phil, have an episode. Mick punches James Joyce right in the face. I will James mail Joyce, you James Joyce, and this is this is I will mail fact. you a gift basket of your choice. I'm talking. I, re- I'm I will talking bring edible you an edible arrangements. I'm talking cheeses. I'm Sh- talking flowers. It can all be yours, Philip. You just got to do me a couple solids. James Joyce used to pick fights in bars and then go running to Hemingway and tell Hemingway that someone was trying to beat him up. So Ernest Hemingway would come and intervene because they were both expatriates in Paris in the 20s. So this is Mick could start a fight with James Joyce and then Ernest Hemingway coming to defend James Joyce is like a, a thing that could happen and has historical basis for happening. And I love that. Um, that said oh my goodness um i got completely sidetracked by fucking house of leaves right house of leaves the academic paper on it i was reading said something very succinct that i liked which was all work dealing with trauma is just trauma that is done in contrapasto which is effectively at an angle um at an alternate angle and that is a lot of how this episode talks through the idea of fiction and trauma and it's very smart and very tender and also deals with a woman with three tits because this is legends let me talk about that i want to talk about a couple things number one why every time ray sees nora do they give courtney for the fucking rupaul's drag race season one lighting number two that breastplate was so they like the nipples are not on that on purpose. When you buy cheap breastplates, that's what they look like. Yeah. could have sanded the nipples down. Like, those were not added. That comes on, like, the cheap vinyl outside of it. It's, it's, and, like, I know what you're thinking. Why do you know so much about breastplates? And that's because I do cosplay. And so I see, like, I've never fucking needed one. No, but I've seen down. people discuss it. And also because I know enough about drag to also be sort of involved in the breastplate just not involved whatever 
because I just fucking course. because I just fucking know. Why do you have to? You know, why is everything a hundred fucking? Why is everything twenty three fucking questions? There's only twenty questions. God, here's the thing. Um, I loved because you know how we mentioned that in the in the first episode of this season that like sort of putting Zari's mom in at the end kind of was a little bit out there and disjointed and it sort of didn't have the emotional impact it needed to have because yeah. this was a much better balance. Yes. You know, they because they, they were like, here's the part where we're going to be emotional and here's the part where the alien and here, let me talk about, I think her name's Karima is what he named his alien queen, who is, I mean, like, number who one. Who was three boob ray? Three boob ray, which is incidentally my radio na- name when I did I want to be referred to from now. I here's the thing. I was the third boob. Um, when Mick said I'm thinking of adding a fourth boob, I was like, Phil, this is getting real furry. Philip, when he wanted a fourth, I I really was kind of like, okay, the tentacles have actually not been that bad. Maybe it'll just be an octopus. And then they were like, oh, you dumb bitch, you stupid bitch. How could you be so naive, you dumb bitch? And then they had a tentacle monster fight. Oh, warrior princess with three boobs. And I kept watching it, like, wrap around her in different ways with its horrible tentacles. And I was like, Phil, why are you doing this to me? Why did it? What if I done? Okay, I mean, I know what I've done. But, like, in a rhetorical sense, what have I done? Why are you doing this? Why does this happen to me? It was, it was so... And, like, and here's the thing. is like, I know we've said that Legends will have good episodes where they just have one really stupid throwaway line. They did not bungle this one there's nothing we can really talk about where they had their throwaway and it bungled it yeah you know even the fact that their alien lady had three boobs like she wasn't she didn't have the like strip of fabric over them like she has in the fifth element she was actually wearing a pretty decent-ish costume i mean they had to cover it so that way you couldn't see all the glaring flaws in it but that's like probably for the best yeah i mean in a lot of ways that saved us yeah but you know, and everybody, the ladies on the show are not like, oh my god, that's disgusting. They're all like, wow, she's really kicking a lot of ass here. Great job. Like, Mick, you've made a really cool character. And then he has sex with her, and they're all kind of like, they don't even tell him to stop. They're all just kind of like, yeah, we'll go. We'll, we'll see ourselves out. And that was like, kind of, I can't believe Force Ghost Line physically manifested as <laughs> Mick tried to have sex with a fictional woman. Let me ask you, who, what, what is kinkier, Rip making out with Gideon or Mick making love to his OC? I have to say, in terms of what is the idea, I think, of someone making out with sort of the hologram version of their ship AI is like a more broadly understood sci-fi trope. But the man creates living embodiment of his horny romance novel character and then has sex with it is is a little more postmodern. That is very theater of the absurd of them. And I hate it. Um, if I went and like it just it's so much like fucking like what the fuck? Like if you describe the if I say what this show is out loud, it makes me tired. It's um, the names of God. Remember how they had that sci-fi story where they have a computer generate all the names of God and then the stars start going out? Yeah. That's, that's what happens if you try to explain Legends of Tomorrow too much. Yeah, like, you just have to sort of let it happen in front of you. Um, Jeezy crazy. It was certainly something. I mean, the thing about Mick and Mick at the start being like, I take my porn very seriously is 
kind of number one big mood and two i just love the fact that he is fucking typing away and sarah's like not sarah i'm so sorry sarah we all know that sarah can't read god bless her love her love her to death hasn't read a book in 20 years because she is here to lead not to read yeah and it is just incredible to me that sorry is like oh my god are you writing and mick just clearly sitting in front of a typewriter is like no i'm jacking it but that was really adorable and funny honestly and Zarya's like, okay, you all know you're not allowed to watch porn anymore alone. Not after what happened. We all have to watch porn with a buddy on this ship after what happened the last time. I, did you ever wonder if Charlie is just kind of confused and concerned at all times? Yeah, I think at this point. God bless her. Like, it's so, so, so good. I mean, I, I love that Charlie is, like, Maisie clearly having so much fun playing the diametric opposite of Amaya. Um, and that's adorable. And also her and Zari arguing at the start of the episode and just getting in each other's faces was so good. Philip, it's exquisite. I was like, ooh, kiss, kiss, holy shit, kiss, kiss, kiss. I'm kiss. telling you, I'll give you six month subscription, cheese of the month club, if you make it canon. Okay, I'm going to give you three month if you make it canon, three month cheese of the month club, if you make it canon. We're going to bump it up to six months if it's endgame. And I'm talking, I'm not talking William Sonoma. I'm talking Murray's cheese. I'm talking fancy, Philip. That can be yours. I, I will do it, Phil. I don't know what their shipping thing to Canada is. So if you have a friend in the United States I could ship it to, that would be great. But I'm, I'm talking cheese of the month, Philip. All yours. You just got to do, you just got to do me the solid. So fucking good. Yeah, let's talk about Nate and Ava hanging out. Let's talk about Transolidarity Reply Thanksgiving. Here's the thing. When you're like talking about something and like the sub, just talk about to set the subject, you put R-E colon this. Because like when you reply to an email, you're replying to the subject. But when you say reply thing in real life, it doesn't work. It only works as a visual cue via text. And I just realized yeah, you that. Can't, it's like you can't say blocked out loud. Not if you're not if you're a coward. That's fair. But so. um, I mean, here's the thing. No Thanksgiving really be like that in an Italian American family. Um, it, you know, we joke sometimes that the show is calling us out, but no, this was definitely, this was one of the most personal call outs, I think, um, right up to Nate being like, that's my uncle. Don't, don't mention Obama. Like, because yeah, I have, I have a couple of great uncles who I, I'm pretty sure my, one of my great uncles is like convinced that Canada is like the modern USSR. And, um, fucking... I mean, fight, the, what's the his name? The children murdering each other, like, the implication that... Fight Trudeau, the who other cares? With a gun ...was so fucking bleak. I love, I love humor like that. That is fucking grim as shit. Like, I, I choose to believe that the kid actually did shoot the other one, because that's fucking funny. What kind that of a Christmas story? Comedy. Yeah. Like, it was just, like, I mean, like, I don't know if they confirmed if it was, but, like, it's funnier if he did actually shoot him. I just love that Nate's dad gave him a bunch of guns as he was growing up to try to fucking. (sighs) And then his mother, I assume, immediately locked them behind glass. How do you support a child being trans? Air guns? Airsoft? Minecraft? Um, It is the sort of thing where, like, you know his mom just then immediately, like, locked them behind glass because, like. Why would you get your hemophiliac child any kind of thing that could ricochet yeah like you don't give them some like and and like that yeah if he do got we shot, are like, we the only fucking ones who remember i feel like we're yelling into space no i really do and truly feel like and believe that i 
it is it is like some dying dream shit where like i don't think any of them remember there's no way especially when he because like remember when he was like to his dad i'm sorry i didn't enlist Enlist? yeah it's like you legally were not allowed I think it's the sort of thing where, like, remember how, like, JFK pulled strings to get in the military even though he had, like, a fucked up foot thing or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think his dad was like, I can pull some strings for you and I can get you in, you know, you can do that. And Nate was just like, mom says I'm gonna die and I'm smart enough to know that, yes, she's right. Him like, yeah, maybe I could do it. And his mom just laying on top of him and refusing to let him go. Yeah. Like, blame his mom for that. Don't do that. (laughs) You can't, like, you're gonna, you are gonna die. Um, but I think the thing I really like about what they're doing with Nate and Ava is that it's very explicitly and clearly two awkward, you know, socially awkward idiots. I mean, Ava's really competent in other areas, but she's like a disaster lesbian when it comes to social interactions. God bless her. God bless her. I really like it because there is no like, oh, maybe she's going to cheat on Sarah with Nate, which they're the same person. It wouldn't. She a lesbian. Nate yeah, man. number one. I mean, like, she's a lesbian. But, like, in terms of personality, Nate and Sarah are interchangeable. So I think Ava just wants to hang out with someone who's, like, ripped and dumb and... Earnest. Goofy. And, you know, I, I, I think it's... I, I really like their friendship. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Wait, can you watch my brother for Thanksgiving? Yeah, it really is. Like, this is, it is, it is peak. Hey, can you babysit my brother? Um, Nate got done first. Not only was Ray with a woman, but Nate, Mick was with a fictional woman. Yeah. You know, like, what is Nate supposed to do in this kind of situation? Yeah, he's really, so I love that he then immediately goes, he's like, fine, I'll hang out with a lesbian. That'll, that'll, that'll fucking show them. That'll show you. That'll show all you haters. Oh, honey, that's not how that works. But, um, Just go back to banging to banging Gary. How cute. Gary and Ramona are so cute. I know. I love um, it because John's also, going to I, kill himself. I love that she is so good with like the creatures that she's like nice to the Baba Yaga and stuff, which is funny because, you know, my Nana was the Baba Yaga, Satan, rest her soul. And... I also really like that because now I want to see what Ramona and Charlie are like when they hang out. Yep. That's gonna um, be really cute. I also think it's very interesting that Charlie doesn't think of herself as human, even though all the forms we saw her, even pre amyification were human. That's called, we don't have the budget to portray what Charlie actually looks like. Um, I, I, are you good, kitty cat? What's your cat doing? I, I literally don't know. What are you doing? Get a job. Get it. Hold on. What are you doing? Stop touching that stuff. What? Stop it. Sorry. No, it's fine. He's mad because I didn't pay attention to him all day because I had to go to work and then I had to bake. All right. Back to business. Um, I'm here then, brat. What, uh, what a baby. He's such a fuck. He's so fucking spoiled. He spent all of Tuesday. Incidentally. He was just up my ass the whole day. We can't prove that Nick Zano will not be at your Thanksgiving tomorrow. No, there's going to be like 40 people. I've spent the past like five hours baking. Um, the largest and standing, I was yeah. literally standing in front of three massive plates of pastries going, I don't know if I've brought enough. Just because I don't know what everyone else is bringing. Um, I hope it's enough dessert because we're not, we have to make a second turkey. And so I'm not going to have the oven tomorrow. So I can't you have make, to make a-, a second turkey for like everybody. You mean? Cause there's a lot of people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, also cause we have leftovers. Cause then Friday is just Thanksgiving too. This time it's personal. So... <laughs> The biggest number of people we ever had at Thanksgiving at my Nana and Pops was, like, 
15. Oof. One time we brought um, a friend of mine who's um, Italian. We brought Cecilia. And she was like, you told me there were going to be a lot of people. I'm like, there are a lot of people. She's like, there's 13 people. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> the holiday but, dinners are supposed to be like 50 holiday to 70 dinners people. Like an all-family affair. I just have my a very one small hope is last paternal year, family. And my, I, that was that yeah. was the one thing that Nate's Nate Thanksgiving was honestly rather underattended. So I choose to believe that uh, there were a ton of other people. We just didn't meet them. Um, because I guarantee you it's because legends couldn't afford it. I guarantee they actors. couldn't afford it, A, and B, if they're truly an Italian-American family, they were all late. Oh, they're yeah. They're not going to sure. be there for another. You either have everyone show up. My grandmother said, I literally asked today, I was like, okay, what time are we supposed to show up? And my grandfather said one for snacks, and then we're going to have dinner at three. And I'm like, okay, so what you just fucking told me is we're going to have snacks at two, we're going to have dinner at five, we're going to have dessert fucking whenever, and everyone's going to show up at six anyway. Um, or at least uh, there will be, most of us will show up on time usually because we all live pretty close to each other, which is not ideal. Um, but we do, but my, I can already think of like a couple of aunts and uncles who I'm like, you're not going to show up until it's like almost fucking dessert. Um, my one hope is one of my, I just can't believe his mom was going to brine the turkey at like 2 PM. You brine, you get up at five to brine, start brining. You brine it like the day before. You let that everybody, shit. everybody, and like not to, not to, you know, diss Dot Haywood because she's a fucking delight and a treasure. It might have been a small turkey. That or the legends writers don't know how to brine things, which I could that, also believe. Okay, Phil, how many things have I offered Phil this episode? I mean, I just, I feel like we like, I feel like, I feel like I've been too hard on him. So yeah. now I'm like, Phil, I'll come over, I'll cook, I'll show you, I'll I show can you the roast a turkey. chicken like Jesus. nobody's business. A nice rotisserie. Here's the thing, is that the fact that Hank Haywood is actually still an asshole is chef's kiss. Oh, yeah, no. I'm I'm actually really glad about that. Because I was a little worried. the concept of parents. I'm so glad Legends reminded us of its true root, which is parents in this economy. (laughs) Um, That is, I want that on a t-shirt. That said, two things. One. My only hope for Thanksgiving is last year my uncle brought his bulldog, whose name is Thor, <gasps> and uh huh, and he was still like a puppy. He was like like nine months old. So my, I'm really, really hoping he brings that dog again. Um, and two, like I'm really glad about Hank Haywood still being a fucking asshole because it's going to be really good for Nate to have to acknowledge that his dad is a bastard. Like we talked about on the podcast before about how like. Even though it's frustrating, we understand that this is kind of wish fulfillment and a way to work out issues with your parents. But even knowing that, it still bothered me that we were seeing these sort of redemption arcs for dads who I don't believe deserve it. And it's nice to see that Legends this time went, no, fuck him. I mean, and like, and this is the thing is that his dad being like that puts a lot of characters that people care about in danger. It puts Ava in danger of being implicated in this. Nate as well. We know Ramona at some point is going to become a werewolf. It puts her in danger. Mm-hmm. It puts Nora in danger. It, I, that's the it thing. It puts is Charlie has in danger. Any sort of connections to the Time Bureau is going to be at risk. And the legends are going to get brought into this because, yeah, if Ava gets implicated in this in some way, Sarah is, of course, going to, you know, come in guns ablazing. And I just think it's very interesting that the season seems to be going forward. The legends are going to be on trial for war crimes. Listen, um, that they may or may us, not have committed. Who among us is perfect? I, the I trial just, I of mean, Nora Dark is going to... <laughs> I swear to God. Emmy winning. 
Um, that's, and I mean, like, I really do appreciate it because my approach to fictional dads as these things go is either they are the scum of the earth and should be fucking exercised off the face of this fucking planet, or they are the best people ever in all fiction and I would take a bullet for them and not flinch. And I'm really glad that Legends understands this. But um, every time somebody tries to tell me Quentin Lance is a good dad, like he didn't pull a gun on Laurel. I'm like, like are you willfully stupid or do you just only care about Sarah? Like when you're the favorite of a bad parent, it doesn't, it doesn't do actually anything. protect you. Like Sarah's going to be in shit too uh-huh. from having an abusive parent. So like maybe fucking like do some, I have never met a survivor of trauma that thinks Quentin Lance is a good dad. No. But then, like, people who, like, and so it's just a real fucking case of not fucking bothering to listen because you're, you like this character and he's nice to his daughter, Sarah. So, yeah. and even then, it's so weird and disingenuous. Like, fuck him. Yeah, it's the sort of thing where it's like, he's nice to her because he thinks he can pit Sarah and Laurel against each other. Like, both he's- of the Lance parents are shit. They're yeah, awful. that's a big insult to the legacy of Black Canary as well, because their mom is supposed to be the original Black Canary. But, like, blame that on Mark Guggenheim. Don't blame it on me for fucking abusers, right? Abusers. Yeah, basically. Like, Mark Guggenheim's just a fucking monster, which we Allegedly. say a lot, but it doesn't ever stop being true. So we got to keep saying it. Mm-hmm. But um, that said, speaking of people with abusive backgrounds, the thing about the whole the whole bit with Nora is I'm immediately going to start with this because my number one pet peeve is when characters who were put in situations where they did not have full autonomy yeah. over their decisions are made to feel like they have to atone for things they were forced to do by an abusive guardian or parent. I hate that shit. It is my least favorite thing in the fucking world. It happens surprisingly often, and it makes me apoplectic. Hello, her name is Nora Todoroki Zuko Dark. Yeah, Nora, Um, and this is the thing, is I put that photo, I posted that photo of polo shirt, but the logo is just your dad crying. Yeah. And I posted that about Nate, but I think Nora would also wear it quite well. And I know, and I said Nora Todoroki because somebody Well, no, that's the thing is there's literally- Todoroki wearing a polo with Endeavor sobbing. Like, he has this in, like, seven colors. He left his dad on fucking red. And I am like, I am so proud of my son who I raised myself. And here's the thing is I was like, kind of, I've kind of been in a point where I'm like, I don't really care that much about Binha, but, like, Todoroki- a good boy. I don't he really, really I don't know is. who anyone else is. Which That's one's out. Bakugan? <laughs> <laughs> I actually watched Bakugan for a little bit because I obsessively watched JetX for like three years. Is Bakugan the one with the spinning it was discs? The one with the, it, was one, it was the one with the fucking there were two. There was another one that was like Anyway, a, which one is he in the Binhas? What do kids like? Binha? Bakugan. Bakugan, but there was like one that was about marbles, and I'm pretty sure Bakugan was supposed to be the one about marbles, but I also think there was one that was just about like extreme shonen marbles, and like one of the characters was like a giant cat man. I don't fucking remember. It's been a very long time. Shonen is a mistake. Have we ever considered that? Shonen, Kate Media, it's all bad. Let's all just, let's all go outside and take a big deep breath. Some really good shonen out there. Name um, it. But yeah, no, like that's the thing is like actually I do think, and I, I hate to continue talking, but like Todoroki and Nora actually do have a lot in common. And this is why I firmly believe that if Endeavor wants to redeem himself, he should just fucking die. Yeah, like, Damien Dark dying die. was a great redemption yeah. because now I don't have to fucking see him. Now anymore. I don't ever have to look at him ever Rest again. Rest in fucking like, piss. 
rip and piss. <laughs> rip and piss. But it is it is the sort of thing where like Nora being afraid of using her powers because they've only ever been used in like a negative and a, like abusive shitty context is like the whole thing that Todoroki goes through during the sports festival arc. That's that's right. I, I haven't seen the sports festival arc. Why does everything have a sports festival? It arc? is it is it is that is that is a shonen staple. Everything is Can going we call to have tune in exams like a sports festival. Yes, absolutely. Okay. They they follow the template, if not the, the the they follow the spirit, if not the letter, because they are technically a tournament arc, and sports festivals are just part of a larger tournament arc. But I don't know why anyone ever makes any to- tournament arcs ever, because the dark tournament arc in Yu Yu Hakusho was the best of them and will continue to be for the rest of forever. Wait, so is Yu Gi Oh not just tournament arc after tournament arc after tournament arc? Yeah, but also because Yu-Gi-Oh! is based off of professional wrestling in terms of how they structure its plot and content. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fair because wrestling is just tournament after tournament after tournament. Now, did anything happen in Legends? Can we confirm? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, that's the thing is, like, I, I already talked uh, I already talked before about how, like, I really liked that the Nora, John, Ray thing is yeah, handled very well. But I do, I just, I love seeing Nora and Ray interact because these they are... They love each other so They much. really do. Like, so it's squishy. not even, like, it's like, and it's the sort of, it's the weird thing of where I'm, like, Nora and Ray don't have a reason to love each other so much yet, but, like, Brandon and Courtney are so good at being in love on camera that you're just, like, who cares? You're going along for the ride anyway because it just doesn't, there's just so much love on screen, and it's really sweet. You know, you want them to be in love on screen because you can tell they love each other in real life. And also because... Again, I don't. And who's John? Her, her tiny, her tiny little fucking hand. Tiny little doll hands. Tiny, tiny. I have a question, and it, that is, here's actually, I wanted to mention this, and that is that Ray, and probably Brandon himself, but like Ray, is like really strong and doesn't always show it. Yeah. But then he'll do something like when they fought the Avas last season, and he's just taking them. Like he could just knock one over. Yeah. Like bowl it over. And yeah. she can just snap a phone in half? Like, snap me in half, bitch. Yeah. It's it's that fucking scene in Age of... The only valid thing in Age of Ultron when Steve fucking rips a log in half and Tony goes, holy shit, I'm, let's get married right now. Oh, it's God. It's true. It's true. That is, that is what happened in Age <laughs> of Ultron. He split me in half, Dad, and Steve went, what? And Tony went, what? Did you know uh, Ari has written over 100,000 words? I will <laughs> self-immolate right here and right now on this podcast. Before I, Thanksgiving? I already did make the pastries. But it was, it's 400. Actually, technically, I have written like over a million words of it because of just the sheer volume I wrote. Like four or five big ones, and they all topped or hit at around like a hundred thousand words. I think the lowest I had a lot of free time in high school. What were we sure. talking about? Oh yeah. Also, I'm a little I don't really buy the idea that Ray's company would make phones with good software but shit hardware. I don't buy that Ray would be down for that. No, because Ray is very vain, so you know he views his technology as an extension of himself, so it has to be perfect because it's Ray. That's so true. like hundred percent and it's also just one of those things where like dude i think you can just snap a phone in half they kept trying to make the phones like like maybe it's just that over meanwhile over at fucking palmer tech when he was the ceo they were trying to make the phones fucking unbreakable and they just couldn't because ray is too buff he's way too buff like and that's really what it is is i'm like you don't have to and he's the sort of person where i'm like you don't you don't have to like nerf him like if you told me that ray could rip a phone book in half 
Well, to promote how about the value of apps. I was about to say, I, hey kids, you know what's cool? Rips phone book in half. STEM fields. <laughs> Ray is absolutely the sort of person who 100% has like gone to high schools and elementary schools and middle schools and like delivered lectures about like participating in STEM. Fucking um, Nate watching him rip a phone book in half. I want to be science. What is? <laughs> God, I wish that were me. But, <laughs> but it is more of, of Brandon using his humongous muscles. Yes, it's the sort of thing where I'm like, you don't have to like, you don't have to bullshit around the idea that he might be really fucking ripped. Like, he can just snap that phone in half because he's a fucking brick shit house. And I'm not gonna be like, mm, unrealistic. Honestly, we met him in person, and he is fucking. He's about twenty feet tall. He's yeah. He's 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 gargantuan, and he may or may not know about this fucking show, which means he may um, or may not hear us say this. And I'm really haunted every fucking day. I wake up sometimes and I go, you guys are so funny. You should have your own show. Like, I, it, like, fucking We mock each analysis. other with that sometimes. I just, I just, I just, I just, like, motherfucker. Um, oh, well. Worst things have happened at sea. <laughs> oh, my God. I was somewhere. And someone literally <clears throat> said, I think I was playing, or I don't, and someone literally said, unironically, worst things have happened at sea. I think I was watching Great British Bake Off. Jesus Christ! And I was like, oh my god. Oh my god, you fucking people! It happened, lads. It it finally happened. Who's gonna be on Great British Bake Off now that Mary Berry isn't? Um, it's Noelle Fielding. Oh, right, because we were talking about it, because Noelle Fielding is a fucking delight, and since there's no Hot Topic in England, um, I don't know how he dresses like that, but I love him because he's just a horrible little grimy goth gremlin and he's a fucking delight um i i'm actually very excited about that um i'm hoping it's one of those things where he like secretly has this massive pastry knowledge that he gets to show off because that would be adorable i mean honestly even if he doesn't imagine him just like being like hmm, it's a bit dry and someone just going fuck off noel fielding what the fuck do you know about pastries what are you you fucking low budget mall goth and they have to go and like lay down please stop insulting noel noel fielding it's very he gets please he's like he's the fucking minion bird or whatever the fuck those uh fucking budgies um there are like eight different things to call a parakeet and i read a lot of british children's literature as a kid so it always stressed me out whenever they called them budgies and then they would describe what was very clearly a parakeet and it just very clearly a pair this is you just fucking getting the shakes this is very well, I had a parakeet as a kid, which was not great because we also had like four cats, but she was okay. Oh, they didn't dear. Make... <laughs> I, yeah, I got her as a present from like my great aunt and I was like, hey, I love Tweety Bird and all, but like. Let's not give animals as pets, my guys. Number one, don't ever give an animal as a pet. That's just good life advice. And two, I was like six, but like two, you knew I had cats. So I could never really take her out and I felt bad and we definitely didn't take good. Like sometimes I think back to the pets I had as a child and knowing what I know now as an adult, about how to care for animals. I'm like, Oh my fucking God. Um, which is really testament to the fact that animals love us so fucking much and put up with so much fucking shit. Animals are so fucking good. Why do we ever hang out with people? Um, are you saying this to guilt me about my horse? No, I just meant like in general, um, I've always been pretty like pro I mean, like, I'm, I'm pro sorry it theory. happened. Okay. <laughs> no, I. you're valid. I'm, like, I did pro, make $40. Like, the... I, I was $40 richer, though. Yeah, that's fair. There was okay. $40 in there. And in 1899 money, that's like. You can use that to buy a new horse. I actually later. could. Yeah. So that's no. like three. It's 
like a thousand dollars. I'm not gonna check that. Nobody check me on that. That's fair. Um, you should also name one of your horses Epona. That would be fun. I feel like that. I feel like that's just cruel and unusual to like. Like I name one of my horses Epona, and then like Epona and Tim's fucking Breath of the Wild game starts like bleeding Explodes. from the eyes. Oh great! <laughs> starts. <laughs> you have spoken the forbidden words. <laughs> Ancient sins. From now on, all horrible dark magic. Here's my plan for Legends is that all horrible dark magic is delivered in like a really fun, cheery way. Oh, yeah. No, I love stuff like that. I would I would actually really love that. I actually also to get back to magic and Legends. Um, one of the things I'm really interested in, aside from Ramona, uh, Mona and Charlie interacting, is the idea that Maisie like is so powerful. Yes, Maisie but is also so the, the, I, I, I really liked that Mona just immediately met these creatures with empathy. I think that that's really good and important and a good because I have talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the monster as the other and the other as like queer. And if Mona has empathy for the monster and shows that these are creatures both capable of and worth giving empathy, that I mean, yes, it would still be, but what if it was an overt metaphor? But, like, at the same time, they've done enough, like, queer subtext that it would be worth sort of turning this into a a way to be like, no, you have to empathize with these people. You have to give them kindness because these are still things that are worth your empathy and your understanding and your concern. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this comes from a very long line of, like, media history of having monsters represent this very specific kind of other. I mean, so I remember really how like in that. the opening for the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the line, the, they have a whole line about that in the opening song for the Hunchback of Notre Dame by yeah. Disney. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I tried to put on, I tried to put on Hunchback at work once and like, I just, I just, I guess, and this, this, I just wanted to see. Was it too if, scary for them? No, they just didn't. I think you hit a point where they're so, they're like five, six. I think 90% of it went over their heads. Like, okay. we didn't watch the whole thing because the audio track was kind of, it, it, like, fizzled out. But, like, most of it just, they, they don't really understand what's happening. And it's, and, and that's, I think, the most interesting part because it's, it's the, un- I got straight high A's, like A pluses in French, my entire high school career. And my last French essay that I wrote, mm-hmm. or maybe I was a junior, so it might not have been my last one. I just wrote a self-insert Hunchback of Notre Dame story in French and my teacher was like this is amazing and I'm like oh I'm really proud of you <laughs> is it yes because you're a very talented writer I will say and, and it I think was it... in French and I, I should pick up French again I kind of feel bad that I let it fall by the wayside god there was definitely stuff that happened this episode this fucking episode was like good but this is what happens I am a full disclaimer it's like almost 11 I've been baking for five hours I am really tired this was a very good episode, but it had it, it definitely had a lot going on. So doing this episode in two parts has led. Yeah, to we've a been recording of... in two parts, and so now we're trying to remember. If you hear us repeating stuff, sorry, that's probably why. Yeah. But also, like, you don't listen to this podcast because it's good, so you know you kind of get what you paid for. Um, what? Are you yelling at your cat again? Yeah, he just came in and started yelling at me. Um, as you know, all here for the cat content, but um, I just. He... Okay, I guess if we're wrapping up, I'm just going to say a couple other things. Number one, yes. Maisie is so hot. 
She's I so hot, and I love her so. She's so that fucking Charlie hair she has exudes this episode, like, such an alpha gay energy. That is like I don't know. I mean, it's also really cute how like she does clearly show kind of a softness for the people on these te- this team. Like Charlie has kind of been solo by necessity and not nece- necessarily by choice. And so like yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense that people are going to warm up to her, except Zari. And we're yeah. going to see Nate meet her next week, and like it's very interesting and telling to me philip that nate and zari seem to be having very similar reactions to charlie because Maisie is like he's gonna get very angry at her and they're gonna butt heads a lot and i'm like hmm you mean like zari is right now phil yeah. phil phil yeah don't screen my calls i know i know how to find you i do also think it's interesting that the two of them are because like nate and zari this was the other uh one of the things i loved but here i go again although there were a lot of things i loved about it Get a job, cat. Well, he's just going to knock over. Uh, you know what? Whatever. Knock all over my shit all over. Whatever. That's what having a cat is like. Every fucking time I try to do literally anything, he just jumps in front of my laptop like, hi, hey, you should be paying attention to me. And I'm like, that's great. Could you not literally sit on, sit on the fucking keys? But he doesn't know any better. <laughs> he do but, not know um, what he do. He does not know what he do. I need to get one of those like desk cat bed things. Um, I will probably he do that. use when it. Uh, no, but like... It, you can you can train them to use it with like treats and if you put like a shirt of yours in there because they'll be like oh this smells like you know my person and i'll sleep i'll sleep on this um what if you try telling them to... <laughs> what if i and i also like put treats on and stuff but the, my point going back to the, the the thing oh god what was i talking about um nate and, nate and zari right and nate nate and zari nate and zari do have very similar they're both very stubborn yeah um and they're both very they sulk like, when they don't get what they want or what they think is the right outcome, mm-hmm. they do tend to get very sort of sulky and withdrawn and resentful about it. Um, They get pouty. Like, Nate fucking... Ray hung out with Nora for, like, five minutes, and Nate's just fucking pumping his fucking laps and, and, and angrily fucking flexing. Like, these are people who are very similar in terms of their emotional approach so i really do love that they're being um used as parallels emotionally and it's also because they're both in love with amaya but you know phil i also really just i love when i love nate and zari um i i i love i love how they're going to bond over this in their shared shared suffering um and i do kind of want to see charlie like what's your fucking deal because I think she get. I I would love if she even said to Zari like I get why he's upset like he was like he he shagged her but like what's, if what's your Zari, fucking beef? If Zari if she says to Zari what is your beef? Were you in love with her or something? I'm gonna fucking I, leap out my window. Yeah. I'm gonna run 17 laps. I'm gonna punch a cop. I'm gonna kill yeah. my parents. Then I'm gonna yeah. bury myself alive. Then I'm gonna yeah. unbury myself. Then I'm gonna compete on RuPaul's Drag Race and I'm gonna win. And then I'm gonna die. In that yeah. order. <laughs> and you're probably wondering how can you compete on RuPaul's Drag Race if you murdered your parents and I'm gonna say that's cause you know parents are having parents is invalid so I'm fine yeah. if you have parents you're not valid parents valid in this economy absolutely fucking not um yeah so and then everybody goes to Paris and that's why we opened the episode with Nate and Ernest Hemingway making sweet sweet love or was it Mick and Ernest it doesn't matter it could be all three I don't care. Um, yes. All I of guess them. same bat time, same bat channel. 
Uh, until next week, enjoy your Thanksgiving if you're having a Thanksgiving. Um, Hold on. Call out your racist relatives if you're in a position to do so. I understand that not everyone can because they're in an abusive or manipulative Punched setting. your grandma in the face. No yeah, like mercy. I'm, I'm not saying no that you're not a real mercy. ally if you don't do that. But like, if you have the means to, if you're an adult with your own financial independence, absolutely give your racist relatives hell. Okay. Go for it. Godspeed. Throw grandma through a window. Not, I mean, yeah. If your grandma's I, racist, throw your grandma through a window. I mean, again, my nana, um, Van Rester Soul, was the Baba Yaga, so you could really do anything to her and she'd just fucking walk it off. But I don't know what normal grandmas are like. I didn't have that. Mine couldn't feel love. But that's fine. Um, so, and like, yeah, sure, her house had chicken feet. And sure, she ate babies. But that wasn't all she was. <laughs> terrorizing the neighborhood children. That's, she died as she lived, terrorizing a child. Probably. I, I'm sure if she could have died terrorizing a child, she would have chosen to. Yeah. God, she hated children. Okay. See y'all next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.